Okay, today is um, June the 14th, 2012. This Sunday we're going to have uh, Jim Myers is going to be speaking here Sunday. It's Father's Day, so I'm going to have a few things to say before we get started. But uh, anyway, I hope you all make a point to be here. Jim is a, a, a really an internationally known speaker. He's been all over the world and uh, in Russia and different places. So anyhow, that will be uh, this Sunday. I don't think there's any other announcement that I can think of. So let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. The option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your mighty word. We thank you for bringing together this group of positive believers, like-minded believers who are hungry for your word. We're so thankful of that, and we pray that you will help us to focus our full attention upon your word this evening so that we can grow in grace and knowledge. For we pray this in Christ's name, amen. I receive from time to time different um, newsletters from missionaries. One of them that I received the other day, I, I thought I'd put it in my briefcase, but I didn't have it, but I don't need it. I remember what it said. I was struck by the eagerness, the positive volition that these men that go over to Africa and different places uh, the people there are just exceedingly hungry. Some of the illustrations they gave was uh, the guys would be uh, sleeping and it would still, still be dark or just breaking dawn and the people would wake them up and want them to start teaching then. Uh, they, couldn't just, they couldn't wait uh, and they would just have to uh, scarf down some form of breakfast and then start teaching, sometimes six to eight hours of teaching. And they come from all over the place and, and from roads that are nearly impassable. Some of them walk. Some of them have bicycles. And I was thinking how unfortunate or sad it is that you don't see that kind of positive volition here in this country. At least it's maybe in pockets, but certainly isn't characteristic of, this, of the believers here. We have so much. And people are so busy, their life seems to be so full, they just don't have time for God. They don't have time for His Word. Some people think that just because they have a full day planner, because their schedule is full, that they have a full life. But just because you're, you stay busy, just because you have places to go and people to see, does not mean that your life is really full by any means. And that's what I think has happened. We are a very hustle-bustle, busy society. And it's, sometimes it's not until after a life has just about been lived and it's waning years that people look back and they start to recognize that just because their life has been full of details doesn't mean that 
it was full. Because so many people don't ask the important questions. Now, I'm not, I'm not throwing at you about asking questions. I'll do that later. I'm just talking about people asking themselves questions, important questions. Why am I here? What is this life all about? Who can I trust? Where do I go to for answers? People are so busy raising their children and trying to make a living and all the details of life. It seems like they don't even slow down for these questions. And unless you address those questions and find the answers and start living in such a way that you recognize that we're not here for us. God did not create us so that we could fulfill our time on earth by trying to have as much fun as we can. He created us for Himself. We are here to serve Him. Now, that's a pretty good place to start. When you start thinking in those terms, at least you're going in the right direction. But people don't think about that these days. They really don't have any purpose in their life. But I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know that y'all have purpose. You hopefully have a personal sense of eternal destiny. That you're living your life in the viewpoint of eternity and not just what is here. I was surprised. uh, Well, actually it was yesterday after I had taught the young people class. I stopped at Walmart to get gas. And I thought James, you heard me talk about James, the guy that was in the little hut there. I thought he was gone for good because I hadn't seen him for a couple of months. And sure enough, I went to pay for the gas and there was James. I said, James, what are you doing? I didn't think I was going to see you again. Oh, well, yeah, you know, he he didn't say much. And I only had seconds because the line was already building up behind me. I said, did you read those verses I gave you? I sure did. He said, I said, well, what did you think about them? He said, well, I need to talk. I said, that's good. (laughs) Guess what? I took my church card out. I put my phone number on the back. I said, here, uh, uh, here, James, call me. Now, that's all I could do because people are already, I hear some hard sighing behind us. You know, it kind of blows your hat up a little bit. So you never know. Isn't life interesting? You don't know what's going to happen. But if you know your purpose and you know you're here to serve the Lord, in order to serve Him, you have to be prepared. God uses prepared believers. And we want to be prepared. We want to be ready for every contingency that comes by. And what we've been doing as of late is focusing on the gospel, the good news. Uh, uh, Yesterday I went over with kids about things that I've been going over with y'all. How do you get the ball started? How do you jumpstart a conversation about God? That's not so easy in our society, is it? But we're working on it, and I guess we'll start here. Getting it right. The gospel is the most important thing that you're going to talk about while you're on planet Earth. Have you ever thought about that? I mean... After all, people's eternal destiny 
rides on believers giving the gospel and giving it right. And there's a lot of gospel that, that is uh, given these days, but not many of it is, is correct. And we saw in Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, that Paul says, If anybody, even if an angel, teaches something contrary, gives you a different gospel, let him be anathema. Let him be cursed by God to hell. And then he repeats it in the next verse. So this is, this is heavy stuff. We want to make sure that we're getting it right. And that's what we've been going over here uh, recently is making sure that we get it right. And in that endeavor, I went to a particular scripture. And this particular scripture says there's three things, three components that you need in order to get the gospel right, in order for it to be effective. Does anybody remember, don't shout it out, but I just want to know if anybody remembers where you go in the Bible to find that. You know? Anybody know? Huh? John 16, right, good. John 16, let's go there. John 16. Of all places, John. Well, that's where you think to look when you're talking about the gospel, isn't it? There's a lot more than just, in John 16, than just talking about the fundamentals, the framework of the gospel. John chapter 16. Uh, verse 7. John 16, verse 7. And this is red, so you know that it's from Christ. That is, if you have a red letter edition. <laughs> One person said, well, I don't, read, I don't read anything in the Bible unless it's red. Well, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I... Do not go away if I, uh, I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper shall not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, you'll notice your translation probably has the him with a capital H and the Helper, capital H, because it's talking about none other than the Holy Spirit. So it was necessary for Christ to go away. We learned in John 14... Why, God was going, why Christ was going away and what he was going to do while he was going away and the promise that he was going to return. That's all in John 14 in the first few verses. <clears throat> and so now he's saying it's necessary for me to go away because I'm going to send a helper to you. Uh, verse 8, and he, when he comes, what are we already learning about he when he comes? The Holy Spirit is not a force, is it? It's a person. We're using personal pronouns here. He's a member of the Godhead. When he, and, when he, and he, when he comes, will convict or convince, use either one, the world, I hope you have that underlined, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, look up here. Don't be looking at your, at your Bible for right now. I want you to see. If I ask you, okay, those are the three components. Are you able to explain to someone in your own words, <clears throat> using actually you're giving the gospel, 
why these three are necessary. I mean, how would you use these in the gospel? First of all, sin. Someone has to know that they're condemned before they know that they need salvation, don't they? So that would be a good place to start. And I don't know what the Lord is going to bring out of your soul and out of your mouth to help someone understand that they need salvation. But you ought to know that Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, What? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, I don't know how you can impart that to someone. We were talking about springboards getting into that. I'm always, I've always got my antenna out, and when I hear someone condemn someone else for sin, especially in the news, somebody has uh, done something dastardly, and you hear people saying, oh, boy, they're going to get the hottest corner of hell for that. Isn't that a great opportunity? Why would you say that? And you're going to get people's attention. Well, what do you mean? Well, people don't know that people don't go to hell for sin. And when you, when you bring out that little gem, get ready for the fireworks. People don't like you to say that. They think that it's certainly uh, not biblical. So whatever the Holy Spirit will bring out of your soul for them to understand, they need salvation. If you don't cover that and you start talking about uh, righteousness and justice, they might think, well, that doesn't apply to me. I'm a good person. In fact, I'm probably better than just about everybody I know. So I'm, I'm good to go. Ali, ali, oxen free. So they have to recognize that. And then the righteousness. What does the righteousness have to do with the gospel? Well, simply the fact that no one can be accepted by God by their own righteousness. What we need is a plus capital R, and that is God's righteousness. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I wonder how many believers know that that is imperative to have. We can't have any kind of uh, relationship with God we, we, he's not going to lower his perfect standards to hobnob with fallen mankind. We have to have his righteousness. How many believers do you know outside of this church and let me say any other doctrinal church? How many professing believers do you know that know that they have the righteousness of God and it was imputed at salvation because of faith? How many of you know that? I don't think there's many. So they're going around. If you don't understand that you have to have this righteousness, people go around and they spend a lifetime trying to impress God with their righteousness. They're trying to be accepted based on something that they do, something they say, some kind of service, some type of penance, some, something. Because they don't understand that the only righteousness that God is going to accept is His own because He's perfect and He's not going to accept anything less than perfect. And the only way anyone can have that righteousness is by faith in Christ. And we know that because we go to what Scripture? Romans. What's about that one? Romans chapter 4, verse 5. Don't know it? The one who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith 
is credited as righteousness. Pretty clear. Not many people know it, but it's... it's, See, this should be abundantly good news to an unbeliever. But it usually is not. I talked to Jehovah Witnesses, and one of them confided in me. He says, I hate going door to door. It wasn't his personality. He went out going personality, and he was looking around. There was three others that were on the job, and he looked all around to make sure nobody, none of them were around when he said that. But he confided in me. And I said, well, I don't blame you. Why do you do it? Well, you've got to do it. I said, is there a verse in the, in, the, in the Bible that I'm missing that says, Thou shalt go door to door and knock and preach Christ door to door? See, what he was trying to do is go through the, the righteousness that this cult espouses. And this is one of the things you have to do to be good enough. Well, you don't go to heaven, but let's just say to be saved. So this is huge, the righteousness. Aren't you glad that you don't have to compete with anyone else? You don't have to come up with anything other than faith in Christ to be acceptable to God. If you never do another good work the rest of your life, if you never read another Bible verse, if you never come to church again, If you don't pray to God again, you're going to heaven because you have God's righteousness. And you got it when you believed in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? I mean, for people that are out there hustling and working, they're hoping it's enough to say, you can know for sure. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. And when you believe, He gives you His own righteousness and you don't have to worry about that end of it anymore. But... They believe the satanic lies, and so they just don't believe it. The last one is judgment. Certainly that goes after righteousness. Because if you don't have the righteousness of God, what's going to happen? Judgment. You're going to be judged. Of course, you're not going to be judged according to your sins, are you? Revelation chapter 20. Twice in two verses it says we're going to be judged according to our works. So the very thing that they are striving to be accepted by God is the very thing that they're going to be indicted for at the great white throne judgment. Of course, you all know about the books. All the books are... Heaven doesn't make any mistakes. And we're so proud of our computers. I wonder what they have in heaven. I bet they look down at our computers and go... Oh, man. You know, caveman style. They don't make mistakes and everything is recorded. And all the works are there. But the name in the book of life is what's important. And anyone that rejects Jesus Christ and they born not accepting the gospel, their name is blotted out of the book of life. And there is judgment coming. People don't like to think about judgment these days, do they? That's why I remember when... Earlier in this, in this uh, gospel series, I was talking about universalism. A lot of people just think, well, if they're good people, they, they automatically go to heaven. And that's why people get angry when you say hell is going to be full of good, moral people, church-going people. 
Oh, don't say that unless you're ready to rumble. Unless you can back it up, which you all should be able to do. So that's what we were, that's what we were going over last time. I guess I'll put this up on the board for you. Oh, I pushed the wrong button. Don't, I don't want to press that one. There it is. Okay. John 16, verse 8 through 11. That's what we went over. Well, uh, let's see, I stopped at verse 8. Let's look at verse 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. You ought to just link believe and sin together there. That's the sin. If you want to talk about the unforgivable sin, it's rejection of Jesus Christ. That's the sin. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Why is it talking about the ruler of this world has been judged? Because he's been judged. He's one one that wants the, you know, you've heard the saying, misery loves company. Well, Satan is on his way, the lake of fire, and the more people that he can woo away from the gospel and into his lies, the better he likes it. So that's what he's trying to do. All right, this was all by way of review. Just skip down to here. Um, Okay. Well, there's one other thing I wanted. I guess it came before this. Or maybe it's left out. I don't know. But remember, I had some scriptures here that were talking about what you do if you run into hardcore negative volition. If you're talking to someone... And all they want to do is argue. They're contentious. You see not even a glimmer of light. What do you do to these people? Yeah, you just you just let them be. Maybe maybe the Lord will bring someone else along, and maybe they'll be like a Pharaoh. And from I get I don't know if y'all know this, but I get emails, uh, uh, several emails, and people ask me questions. And I keep a record of them. I keep the emails so that when someone asks a question that I've already handled, I don't have to go over it again from the very start. And I have a lot of people who ask questions about, well, I have this friend, I have a, a, a family member, and every time I bring up the, the gospel, all they want to do is argue, and they don't believe in Christ. They're very audacious about being atheists, and I've told them this, I've told them that, and all they do is slam the door in my face. And they ask, what should I do? I said, well, you kick the dust off and you move on. In other words, there is a point to where if it's obvious to you the Holy Spirit is not striving with this person and all they want to do is argue and belittle what you believe, you have to just leave it. And sometimes that's hard to do when it's a family member. But that's what we have to do. That's what the Bible commands. We don't, we don't put our pearls before swine. That's a biblical verse. That, that's what we're doing. I mean, pearls are beautiful. Beautiful whether they're on a necklace or just looking at it, it's a beautiful thing. Now, when you spread those before swine, what are they going to do? Do they have any... Yeah, there's there's no appreciate. There's nothing for that. So why do you want to keep you, 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 you're spreading your pearls before swine and they're just you know they're just rooting going all this? You say, 
Yeah, but wait a minute. I've got another. Look at this. Isn't this something? No. What we do is recognize their swine and we move on. Uh, that was by way of, of, of review. I just want to throw that in. Now here, we're plowing new ground here. The following verse... The following is a verse that many have used to try to insert works into salvation. Now, I want you to go to this verse because it's misleading for some because there's a bad translation in a word that makes people uh, get off course. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We were talking about this Sunday, weren't we, guys? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Who's this talking to? Believers. So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. That means for while your time on earth, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, I hope you have that last word underlined. The Greek word there is phalos, P-H-A-U-L-O-S. And the best translation for that is not bad, because what do people think of when they say we're going to be judged? We're going to, or we, it doesn't say judged. It says we'll be recompensed for the deeds in the body according to what we've done, whether it's good or bad. What do they associate the word bad with? Sins, right? It's, it's just automatic. That's what people think. But there's a big difference between bad and worthless. Worthless means that you have done a lot of things that you may think gives you credit to get in heaven, which is nothing but worthless. It's altogether worthless. An unbeliever can only produce human good, which is worthless to God. And believers can produce human good. And that's when you're at the judgment seat of Christ. There's going to be a distinction made by what you did in the body by whether it is good. Now put, put in your Bible here, this would be divine good or bad or worthless. And the bad actually meaning worthless is talking about human good. Anything that you do while you are filled with the Holy Spirit or filled by the Holy Spirit is divine good. You don't have to be some hero saving somebody out of a burning house. You could be standing into you could be standing in front of the mirror, brushing your hair, and singing Amazing Grace. Or we might be um, charge of the elephant. There might, whatever. See, you're thinking divine viewpoint. Thinking divine. Is that does that count? Is that is that divine good when you're standing in front of the mirror and you're just singing appreciate? Well, you might be appreciate that you have hair to comb, <laughs> or it might be that you appreciate you have a comb to, to comb your hair. It's just appreciation. You're just thinking about God. And you're in this, this thankful mode. Is that divine good? 
It, it is if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, which you probably are. So that's the, that's the, that's the distinction there. Now, most people, unbelievers and some professing Christians, think that a time of judgment is coming when God will judge every person. And that's true. He's going to judge every person, but he's, going to, he's not going to link the believers and unbelievers together. A lot of people think at the end of time there's going to be a day of judgment and God's going to take everybody. And you know the rest of it, don't you? I think I have it here. If a person's good deeds outweighs their bad deeds, which in this case sins, then he will go to heaven. And if his bad deeds outweighs his good deeds, then he'll go to hell. Now, this is the oldest lie that Satan's come up with. Sins won't be mentioned at the judgment seat of Christ, nor will they be mentioned at the great white throne. Why? Because when you're talking about salvation, sin is no issue, period. Why? Because Christ took care of our sin problem. Now, why is that so hard for people to grasp? And yet, how many Christians do you know make a big deal about, about sin with regards to salvation? Now, sin is an issue in a believer's life. I'm not saying that we should just forget about sin, but we can forget about sin when it comes to salvation, eternal salvation. And so they think there's going to be this some kind of uh, judgment where all this is going to come to pass. And you know, a lot of people, I would say probably most believers don't know the difference between the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers only, and the great white throne, which is for unbelievers only. I heard Joyce Myers one time acknowledge that on TV. Now, she's got a arena. I mean, you know, one of these, uh, like Osteen has, you know, one of these thousands of people out there, and they've got all the cameras and million people are watching her to learn from her, and she's acknowledging, well, you know, I know there's a great right throne, there's a, there's a judgment seat of Christ. Both of them are judgments. I don't know the, you know, the difference of who's going to be where or what. And I'm thinking... <laughs> but, and I'm not, I'm not trying to disparage her. I know that you know, maybe you can learn some things from her, but you're not going to learn the deep doctrines from her. Maybe some pragmatic, practical things. My point is that people believe this. This is the oldest lie. Somehow it's just people grow up and they have this idea. Well, it's promoted by religion, isn't it? Isn't that what religion is all about? Catholics believe this. By the way, we're talking about the Bema Seat. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it gives a detailed information about the judgment seat of Christ and how there's going to be wood, hay, and stubble, and silver and gold and precious stones, and a fire is going to determine what's what. I was talking to somebody this week, and they said that a Catholic told them, see, that's purgatory. Well, how do you know? Well, it's a fire. Got to be purgatory. <laughs> People. Mm. The gospel has been under, uh, under attack ever since the apostles began spreading the good news in the first century. Here's, here's one of them here. Here's an illustration. You might want to go to Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Here you have the apostle Paul. Well, this isn't apostle Paul in Acts. Well, yeah, Acts 15. I thought it was, yeah. You have the apostle Paul. The greatest apostle, I would think we would be in agreement with that. Certainly he was more prolific in writing than all the others. 
He said he was the least of them. And that showed his humility. Actually, he was really used by God in a great way. So he was giving the gospel out. We saw how he was reasoning with people. Remember that? Acts 15.1, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This doesn't resonate with us the way it would then, because we're talking about Jews. When the Jews heard that the Gentiles could be saved as well, you would think, yay, they'd be happy. They weren't happy. They didn't like it. They hated Gentiles. And when they heard that, well, they can be saved just like you. Oh, no! And then, you know, they had all this debate about it. And finally, they they condescendingly finally said, okay, we'll agree they can be believers like us, but they've got to be circumcised. What did Paul do? Did he negotiate with them? No. We're talking about the gospel. What is circumcision? It's a work, isn't it? Something that you must do other than faith? This could not stand. And if, and if, and if you, you see this in the book of Galatians, if, if Paul didn't stand, stand firm and say, no, we're not going to compromise this, it would split the church. You would have a Jewish church age, and a, not a church age, but a church, and you'd have the Gentile church. And now it would be a mess. So it had to be dealt with. This is a quote from The Gospel Under Siege by Zane Hodges, page 3. If you want a good book about the gospel and other things, this is a good one. One of my favorites. Quote, With such words, the gospel came under siege during the earliest day of the Christian church. The claim made by these words created the first theological crisis in the history of Christianity. Now, we're talking... There's a lot of crises in the Old Testament. We're talking about Christians now. We're talking about church-age folks. Nothing less than the unity of the faith was at stake. That unity was preserved only when the Jerusalem Council formally rejected this erroneous doctrine. And boy, did Paul stand up to them. That's why the book of Galatians, one reason the book of Galatians is... Probably the strongest book in the New Testament. I mean, he is ripping them apart. And this came early on. The book of Galatians was maybe, I don't know, first or second book. It was right up there early that this, he had to deal with this. When some believers in Antioch started to believe that the lies of the Judaizers, stronger believers decided to act. They sent some of the most trusted men to go with Paul and Barnabas to address the issue. This had to be nipped in the bud. They just didn't sit around and say, Well, God will take care of it in the sweet by and by. No, they had to act. There is a time to act. And they recognized that and they had this counsel. Acts 15:24. Since we have heard that some of your number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words unsettling your souls. This would be the ones that said you have to be circumcised. It seems good to us, having become of one mind, to select men 
to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Paul and Barnabas were going, and they sent a few with them, and their names are given. But the reason I'm, I'm making this point is that you don't negotiate with the, the, the gospel. You don't negotiate with it because um, you can't. I think it was, was it Bob Wilkin that came out with the non-negotiable gospel? Wasn't it him? Do you all know? I think that was the name of it. When someone proclaims a false gospel, that is not the time to be lazy or afraid to speak up. It's definitely not the time to be worried about embarrassing or hurting their feelings. We are commanded to stand firm for the truth. I hope none of you back down. It's, it's, it's not a contest. It's being a good and faithful servant, especially when souls are at stake. The attitude that we don't need to say anything because some other believer will probably come along to correct the inaccuracy is all too pervasive these days. Let someone else take care of it. Let someone else do it. Not when it comes to the gospel. If people get offended, if they get their feelings hurt, if they don't speak to you any longer or whatever, so be it. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Now, I like all of that except that last part. <laughs> Look at that. Because sometimes we think, be alert. Firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Right. Sorry. <clears throat> All right, you know, we think, all right, I'm ready. But then it says, but everything is to be done in love. You can't bulldoze people, see. You just have to do it in love. See, you can be firm and not back down and still be loving. You don't have to be straining and then vessels in your neck poking out and to be strong, see. You can be a 100-pound woman that's kind of mild-mannered and fit that description. Do you know that? Because the toughness isn't here. The toughness is here. And I think some of us guys sometimes, you know, we want to, someone's saying something that's, Contrary to the gospel, and we want to, we want to grit our teeth. What do you mean? We want to. Grit. Some of you guys, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But I have to do it in love, see. Because it's it's not a it's not a strength thing. It's a loving thing. And if you back down when someone is somehow desecrating the gospel, then that's not love. And what a lot of people do is they're, they're so afraid that they're going to be embarrassed or someone isn't going to like them. You know what that means? They're thinking about their self. 
How's it going to act? How, what is going to happen to me if I make an issue when someone says that you have to do this, that, or the other thing? You, you have to go to Mass. You have to count beads. You've got to get, get in the water. You, all the other things. Well, they won't like it if I say, well, wait a minute. You know, let's, let's, let's reason together. Let's go to the Bible, see what the Bible says. Well, some people just don't, they're not acting like men. But more, the more, most important thing is they're not acting in love. Because when you act in love, you think of the other person, not yourself. And that's why a lot of people even recede and retreat when the gospel is being perverted because they're thinking of their self. Forget self. This is a mandate for us. Sometimes we wonder why so many people reject the gospel even though it's easy to understand. The Bible gives us the answer. Do, do you ever think that? Have you ever wondered that? We've got the good news. It's free. You don't have to do anything except believe in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, your ticket to heaven is guaranteed. It's fabulous news. And we give it to people... You know, they just, they don't want to hear it. Why? Well, one reason is because they're trying to work their way and they've got a pretty good scorecard. You know, they, they've, they've accumulated a lot of good works and they're thinking, hey, I'm, I'm sitting pretty pretty. So sitting pretty pretty. <laughs> kind of pretty. And they don't like you to say, hey, your good works is dumb. But here's the reason why. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 through 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who's in the image of God. Satan is out there blinding people. That's what he does. So that's one reason you wonder, why do people, why are they so negative? Notice that it is the mind that is blinded to the gospel. The number one tool Satan uses to bind people is religion. That's his ace trump. Religion is man by his own effort trying to gain acceptance by God. That's the simplest definition I know of. And they buy into that idea. You know, I was, for some reason, I've been getting questions and dealing with Catholics. And Catholics have been blinded by the prince of this world. They believe the lie. And that's, that makes sense to me as to why they don't accept something that is tremendous news. They don't have good news. The best they have to offer... Isn't, isn't even good news. I think it's bad news. I mean, if you go regularly to Mass, if you are baptized, if you're confirmed, if you do, go to the confessional and you do your penance and you do all, everything that they say you're supposed to do, you know what they say is the best you can count on? Is maybe spending less time in purgatory. You know, where the fire is. That's, that's the best that they can come up with. Now, you can buy indulgences and maybe buy that time down, but how much time are you going to save? Well, no one can tell you. 
No one can tell you if you're really good how much time you're going to spend. Or if you buy an indulgence, I've got three grand. How much time is that going to kick out of, keep me out of uh, purgatory? Less time in purgatory. Well, they can't tell you. Why are they blinded? Because the satanic lies and they believe them. That's why we, we don't get angry. They're not our enemies. They're in a dark place. They've, they have believed Satan's lies. That's why they don't believe it. Most people have been told their entire life that they must do something to maintain a salvific standing before God. These are the people who get all emotional, emotional when they sing Amazing Grace when they know nothing about grace. Have you ever thought of that? I was watching a TV every once in a while. I have to go by the Nut Channel. I got, and this guy was on there, and it was. I just thought, I have got to watch this at least a little bit. And this one woman was out in there, uh, and they had the camera on her for a while. Uh, she was the emotional queen, I guess you could say. And they were singing Amazing Grace. And I, I was afraid for the people around her because... Going like this and tears coming down and all that. And I'm thinking, I wonder what she really knows about grace. Blinded. Blinded. The parable of the sower and the seed. This is Luke chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. Now you know about the parable of the sower and the seed... The sower goes out and he throws the seed out and some hits on good soil, some hits on rocky soil, some goes on the, uh, in the ditch and this type of thing. Well, Luke chapter uh, 8, verse 11. Listen to this. It's the same idea here. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. Those beside the road, that would be, excuse me, the uh, seed that's broadcast over the side of the road, are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so they will not believe and be saved. Satan, or at least his demons, can come. And when you're giving the gospel to someone, when you're trying to minister to someone, he comes in with the lies. Look at that, what he says. He comes and takes away the word from their what heart. It's not talking about this. It's talking about here, the cardia, the dominant portion of their soul. See, I think that there are people who are Satan's ministers all over the place because I've talked to, to uh, Catholics before, and I, I, this woman got it. She was understanding grace. And I thought, this is, oh, man, it's so fabulous when somebody gets it. And that was on a Friday. She came back Monday, and she was a completely different person. Aloof. Well, no, I, I, I just don't, I don't uh, see it. I, I, I think you're wrong. And just won't know. Uh, what happened? Well, Satan had come in, into her, um, came and took away the word from her heart. She went and talked to the, I don't know what they have, elders or deacons or priests or whatever it was. They went and they said, oh, no, no. And they sold her a bill of goods. She believed the lie. I said, look, the verses that I showed you are still the same. You know, I went to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I went to 
Titus 3.5. I went to John 3.18, John 3.30. All these verses, and she was getting it. But then she went, and it was taken away from her heart, away from her soul. That's the way Satan works, you see. The Antichrist will carry out Satan's strategy. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10. The one Antichrist who's coming is in accord with activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of truth so as to be saved. See, he's going to carry on where Satan has where he's been working all this time. He's going to come with power and signs and false wonders. Isn't that what people want today? I had, an, I had another email just the other day about someone saying, well, uh, what about these uh, supernatural phenomenon that takes place? Some guy wrote a book and he was talking about uh, he went without water or food for 75 days. Without water for 75 days? I think not. Well, is it possible? Is God going to just do away with the laws of nature so this guy can live for 75 days without water? What is, the, what is it, six or six, seven days without water? You're, you're maybe less, and you're going to be a goner, see? So the, the point is that people want the, the... They'll read this. Oh, they'll go to their neighbors. Guess what? Oh, this guy is a tremendous book. Guess what? He went 75 days without uh, food and water. And the neighbor thinks, really? Because they're wanting signs and wonders and the spectacular, the supernatural. That's what they're looking for. They're not looking for the answer's in the Word. But they'll believe somebody that says that they live for 75 days without food and water. We are born spiritually dead and have lived a portion of our lives walking according to the course of this world which is dominated by Satan. Once a person accepts the gospel, that worldly way of thinking and believing should change. The problem is most Christians continue to think the same way because they refuse to take in doctrine consistently. They may change their behavior, but their thinking continues to be dominated by, their, by old sin nature and demons. Now, I know this, I'm kind of morphing away a little bit from the gospel, but it's still the same thing. Not only can Satan, through his minions, steal away the word that is given to an unbeliever. He can do it to believers as well if they're dumb enough to get back into that mode. Here's the verse, I think, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Same thing, Satan and his demons are always there trying to rob you, take away the great things that you have. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Who is he talking to? Believers. And what kind of dead are they? Or were they? Spiritually dead. So you were spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins in which you... Go to this verse. I want you to go to this. In which you formerly walked. I've got that in red. 
See, we all were spiritually dead. We all lived according to the prince of this world and his lies at one time. But now you have Paul saying, yeah, but that time, that's enough time. Now that's past. This should be the farmer way that you used to live. And, of course, walked here means your manner of life. You live the manner of life according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit, that would be Satan's spirit, that now is working in the sons of disobedience. The angelic conflict is very real. Even when you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not exempt from the demonic attacks. And this is where he wants to get right here. He wants to get into your mind. He wants to get into your soul. He wants you to believe the lies. And what is your antidote? This is your antidote right here. The truth of God's Word. That's why we have to know it. That's why we have to know it so well that we carry it around in our souls so when these attacks come, that we can, have, we can go to Scriptures in our mind. That's why I've been trying to have you memorize these Scriptures. I know it's hard. I know most of us are old. And it's hard. I can't tell you how many times I've gone out to the barn when I'm here. Now, what am I here for? I went from the house to here and something... I'm, this happened last week. Uh, no, this week. I left the house and I was going to the barn and I, oh, there's a weed. It's coming up in between the cracks. I cannot stand weeds coming up in the cracks. So I reached down. I got that weed. Well, I got that weed. All right. Now I get to the barn. Now, it's the weed that did it. My mind got off of where I was going and it was on the weed. Uh, no, we're frail creatures. But we can manage a dozen verses, can't we? Major verses? Because if you need them and you don't have them, and you don't have your Bible there, you try to kick yourself. And we ought to know it. We ought to know these. That's not that big a deal to know those few verses. So this is talking about believers. And this is kind of a rebuke. Paul is saying... You, in which you formerly walked. You used to be in subjection to this according to the prince of the power of the air. We know who that is, Satan. That is now working in the sons of disobedience. Who are the sons of disobedience? Hmm? Is he all, all of a sudden starting to talk about unbelievers here? <laughs> we wish. Huh? He's talking about us. It is our nature to be sons of disobedience. But God has given us the Holy Spirit. Christ said, it's necessary for me to go away because if I don't go away, then you won't get the Helper. And I'm going to give you the Helper. And He will convict who? The world. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we need to quit walking the way that we used to walk. And in the walking, we think about Behavior, but it's more than behavior. You know what's more important than behavior? What's going on up here. That's the main thing. If you got this right, the behavior will be right. Okay, this time, you know, I don't know. I'm always looking at the clock and I'm thinking, how does it get there? 
but it's there. So, the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. We don't have to go to Africa. We don't have to go to a foreign country. All we have to do is go out our front door. There are so many that are perishing. They're on their way to hell because Satan has taken the word from them if they've heard it. And we have to be able to stand firm for the faith and do it in love. And we can do that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And all it takes is for them to understand it while you're talking to them and you're asking them questions and they, they say, I'm done. I can't, I can't refute it. I have to believe it. And when they do that, there's one thing that that old devil can't take away and that's their eternal salvation. Isn't that great? If, you can, if they are going to accept it while you're talking to them, if you can do that, then they have God's righteousness and there's nothing that Satan can do about it. But I exhort you, for those who you give the gospel to and it's a nah, 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 you know, just stiff-armed. Have you ever been stiff-armed? You women, have you ever been stiff-armed? I've been stiff-armed in football. It makes me mad. Well, there was a lot of things just make me mad because it hits you right in your nose guard and knocks your head back like that. Well, that's, that's for another time. I'll tell you about that sometime, about stiff-arming. But that's what, we're, we're stiff-armed all the time. But we can't, we can't go back at them as a debate or anger. We have to do it in love. They're not our enemies. They are lost. They're dark. They're on their way to eternal suffering in the lake of fire. And we need to get cracking. We need to use those springboards and start talking about the gospel. Give them a verse or so. And let the Lord do the rest. Let's close. Father, thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the Gospel. We recognize that it's simple. It's easy to understand. But Satan is hard at work to try to take away the truth of Your Word. But he is not as powerful as he who is in us. We just have to be willing. We have to be ready. And that's what we need to do. So we pray that you will help us to focus on these things, ask the questions, and let the Holy Spirit convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.